This morning's scripture comes from Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42, and it says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is going to be a a morning for us to just kind of look back at why we started New City Church and what we're after as a church. It's a, it's a Sunday for us to realign our hearts with what God is after in us and what He desires to do in and through us as a community of believers. Uh, in 1974, uh, uh, a Japanese man by the name of Hiro uh, Noda uh, walked out of a Philippine island with his samurai sword and handed it over and relinquished uh, his orders for the war. Now what's significant about that? Well, this man had been fighting a war that had been over for 29 years. See, he hadn't received orders from his commanding officer, so he kept fighting. There were lots of war crimes that I won't go into about this guy with his sword in that island on the Philippines, but the thing that I want you to know about Hiro Noda is this, is that he was fighting a war that was already over. And I'm convinced that for you and I, especially as Western Christians, we are tempted to fight a war that has already been won. We're tempted to to, to engage in a battle that we are already victorious in. And what is that battle for us? I think that battle for us is to live out of our identity in Christ. Today what I want to talk about is how the values that Jesus puts inside of us through His Spirit are to be lived out. So we could look at our, our values as a church like this in kind of two categories. The, the who we are values and then the what we do values. And I'm convinced that grace changes who we are, and then it changes how we live. But, but here's the issue. Here's the issue is that everything, everything in our culture around us says that it's the doing that produces the identity. It's, it's the do, your, your job performance that makes you valuable at your company. It is the the activities that you participate in that give you validity of your existence. Everything in our culture is reverse of that. And I I think that our hearts are probably more syncretized than we even realize when it comes to this idea of who we are in Jesus and then how do we live out of that. As we planted New City Church, uh, we had about two years where we were on the ground in Lawrenceville before we ever had a worship gathering. And in those, in those two years, I would have the opportunity to meet with lots of people, hundreds of people. And, and, and over and over and over and over again, this theme kept coming up. And the theme looked a little bit like this. Uh, it, it, looked like, it looked like church activity was the answer to our deepest problems. 
And, and we are tempted to, 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 to trade the person of Jesus for programs. We are, we are tempted uh, to, to change, to, to trade in uh, things that we think uh, will give us life and hope for, for the work of Jesus. And I think we don't focus enough on what God has done inside of us. And, and, and church, we must come back to this over and over and over again because we are so prone to forget the Gospel. And the Gospel is a treasure that must be mined out inside of us as we walk with Jesus. As Mike was sharing earlier, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Conversion and baptism is just the beginning of the journey. Jesus wants to continue that work in and through us. You see, being a Christian is incredibly inefficient. And the reason why I say that is because we're all about efficiency, right? We're, I mean, when I go to the, you guys are the same way, but when I go to the store, I am gauging the lines at the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, lo- I'm, 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 I'm sizing the people up that are in front of me, and I'm thinking, you know, their rate of getting the groceries out of the cart is a little slower than those guys, but they have more groceries than them, so I don't really know how it's going to work out. And I'm trying to figure out how to be most efficient in everything that I do. It's just what we do as Americans. Being a Christian is incredibly inefficient because it requires a fresh foundation. A new birth has to be laid in our, in our souls. Our identity in Christ, friends, and get this if you don't get anything else, is not something that we bolt on to who we are. It's not something that just you know, slightly transitioned in my life when I met Jesus. As my kids and I were reading last night, before they went to bed, we're reading about the story of Nicodemus in John 3. And he keeps coming back to this reality. This guy comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I, I got to do here? And he says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to have new life. We assume far too much of what we get and what we need to mine out of that new life in Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is this idea that we have all of these competing values that are around us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, who are you? Who am I? Who am I? When you ask yourself that question, what comes to your mind? In your reality, not in your theology, but in your reality, who are you? Are you a teacher, first and foremost? Are you a nurse, first and foremost? Are you a mom? First and foremost, or are you God's son or daughter? Because how you answer that question is really what is driving your life and ambition. And it's, it runs far deeper than any of us care to realize. But the good news for us all is this, is that your Father in Heaven, He knows this about you. He knows that you are prone to put your identity in things that are not of Him in His created order. He knows this about you. And this is why He continues to change us by the power of His Holy Spirit. And He knows that you get tangled up and you forget who you are on a daily basis. He knows this about you. And He still comes to us. And He meets us. We're called New City Church not because we're bringing something new to the city. Guess what? God has already been at work in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and Gwinnett County, and Atlanta for hundreds of years. 
What we're doing in New City Church is we're trying to link arms with what God has been doing in this city. And we want to see a fruitful ministry flow out of what He's already began here. We're called New City Church because God is doing a new thing in us. I mean, think about the Kingdom of God. It begins in a garden. And when you read Revelation 21, it ends in a city. God wants to do a new thing. Not only through us, but also in us. He wants to establish His rule, His reign, His kingdom in your heart. And everything that you experience in life, and everything that you're going after, God is using for your good and His glory. That's what the Scriptures tell us. He wants to do a new thing in you. God isn't using us to start a new church. God is birthing a family with us. That's what He's doing. It's way different. It's way different to be birthing a family than it is to be birthing an event. Lawrenceville, Georgia does not need another church service. There's lots of awesome churches here. But for a family of God to be birthed here, to be knit to Jesus and to one another, that's a whole other story. And so what we're going to talk about today is how God is birthing a family. He's birthing a family here. And it runs deeper than blood. Because the Spirit runs deeper than blood. God is birthing a family. And that's why our vision says this. You know, Megan and I wrestled through this for years. And four and a half years ago, we finally got enough words around what our hearts were feeling that this kind of came out. New City Church exists to live as the family of God. Notice it doesn't say live like the family of God. If New City Church just wants to live like family, I'm out. And you should be too. You know why? Because when you live like family, you bail when it gets tough. You bail when it gets hard, when it gets dark. You bail because it's not family. But we exist to live as the family of God. Proclaiming the Gospel of grace because it is the, is the power of salvation to all who would believe. To one another because we can't forget to take the Gospel deep in us and to our city. Grace is what we need. The Gospel is the answer. We exist to live as the family of God. So let's get into the first point now. I'm just getting warmed up. Grace changes who we are. i got to fix this mic. Hold on. Grace changes who we are. Being comes before doing. And as I say that, I want you to think about the danger of focusing on doing before you focus on being. What would be some of the dangers? Well, some of the dangers would be that you, if you don't have the heart of God in your behavior as you're going out, if you don't have it in your, your DNA as you go out, you're going to replicate what's in you. Or you're going you're to try to perform for God, not, not, not seeing that the kingdom of God is a father and son, it's a father and daughter endeavor. endeavor. We experience more of Jesus as we participate in building His kingdom. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, speak about this. Let's open our Bibles and look at this. Scriptures say this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by John. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, don't miss this, this is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So John is puzzled at why Jesus, the sinless, would-be Savior of the world, comes and seeks to be baptized by John for this baptism of repentance. Jesus is identifying with the ministry that John is propagating that the Kingdom of God is at hand. He's identifying with that and submitting Himself to that as an example. We could, we could look at it from that angle. But I want to look at it from another angle this morning. This is about God identifying with His Son publicly for all the world to see. He says these words, this is My Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now think about what Jesus had done up until this point. Sure, we have that instance about Jesus being, you know, getting caught up in the temple with the scribes when he was a young boy early in the Gospels. We have these scattered stories about Jesus as, as a kid, not many of them, but a few. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. How could the Father be pleased with him? He's done nothing. He hasn't even been to the wilderness yet. He hasn't even went through the temptation. How could God be pleased with Jesus when He hadn't done anything yet? Because that's what the Gospel is. Now, Jesus was perfect. And so He's well-pleasing to the Father. But the Kingdom had not come in force that it would through Jesus yet. And God was still pleased with Him. So why do you and I think that God would think any different of us? Why do we think that God would think any different of us? That we, Because these truths are true for us if we're in Jesus. That you are a well-pleasing aroma to your Father in Heaven regardless of what you do. Regardless of what you do. Before the foundations of the world, the Scriptures say, God chose you. Before you could do anything, you were a bag full of needs. Couldn't do anything for God. And you were well-pleasing to Him through Christ. Scriptures say that, that through faith we are hidden with God in Christ. So, what's that mean? That means that the sin that you can't forget, God can't remember. That's what grace is. That's what forgiveness is. And we are well-pleasing to our Father in heaven. We are well-pleasing. I mean, this is why over and over and over again in places like Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 1, God says that He puts His Spirit in our heart that cries out, Abba, Father. He puts this desire in us to belong in a family. And Jesus does the work to secure us forever. If this doesn't make you giddy, I don't know what will. If you're in Christ, you are treasured by God. 
You're His beloved son. You're His beloved daughter. I mean, it makes me think of like a, a giddy like new dad. You know, this is, you know, I, I picture God kind of, if He was an earthly father, I kind of picture Him being like this about His children. You know, like before smartphones, you would have this thing called a wallet in your pocket, and then it would have this little thing where you could put pictures in it. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you still carry that. Most of you don't. Um, and, and I picture God just like anyone he, could, anyone he could get to listen to him. He'd be showing the pictures. Look, look at little Timmy when he hit the t-ball here. Look at little Sally when she had spaghetti all over her face. Look at my son. Look at my daughter. He's so overjoyed with you. It's why He sent Christ. If we don't get this in us, we will not build the kingdom of God. We won't build the right kingdom. John Owen says, if the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? What will bring you delight in life if not for your father's love? And listen, I get it. We all have distorted pictures of broken fathers and broken mothers who have not represented God the best that they could to us. But Jesus is different. He's better. He brings us to our perfect Father in Heaven who's full of grace and truth. Who's full of love and mercy. This is who He is. So how do we live this out? Got to let this pierce our heart every day. Every day if we don't wake up with that kind of footing, we're not going to be able to build God's kingdom. Because we're going to be too busy trying to secure our own identity. Fighting a battle that's already been won for us. How do we live this out? I love what the French author Antoine de Saint-Exupéry says. Listen to this quote. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work. At this point when I read it, if I stop, I'm like, then how else do we build a ship, man? I mean, we've got to get the work done, right? Just don't focus on that. Instead, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Teach them to long for the sea and they'll build a ship to get them on the sea. Church, how do we live this out? Here's the answer. We have to be taught how to long for Jesus with everything that we are, with every fiber of our being. And there'll be no question if we're living on God's mission or not. There'll be no question if we're, if we're effective in His kingdom or not. Because we're not going to be able to help it. Because He's going to be oozing out of every fiber of our being. I mean, nothing, nothing can stop a family who's knit together with the Father's love that runs that deep. Nothing. No schemes of the evil one. No suffering. No trial, no sin can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when that's dealt with, it's all downhill from there. Living in Christ's kingdom is. And this is what has shaped what we participate in and what we do not participate in as a church, as New City Church. So, I just want to throw this image up on the screen real quick. 
This is, we said for New City Church to be a church that sees themselves as well-pleasing in God's sight. We're going to have to focus on that a ridiculous amount of the time because we're so prone to forget it. So we just said, let's just put the Gospel at the beginning of this thing. At the beginning of our identity, the beginning of our soul, before we do anything else, who cares about worship services, discipleship groups, serving in the community if we don't have the Gospel? So we're going to focus on that. And out of the Gospel, we see these themes emerge that become not just activities for us to participate in, but identities for us to live out of. So we are worshipers of Jesus. What does it mean to be a worshiper of Jesus? When you and I hear that, we think activity, not identity. We think about going to church. That's exactly what we think about. It's what we're conditioned to think about. But what we see that God does in us is that He makes all of life and every square inch of the face of the earth an opportunity to worship. An opportunity to see and savor Jesus and to long for His kingdom, to long for His rule and reign in our hearts as we participate in whatever doing in life. There's not one relationship. There's not one business deal. There's not one conversation that Jesus Christ doesn't declare mine. Nothing. It's all on the table as worship. We are worshipers. Next, we are family. Guess what? We emphasize a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, don't we? We emphasize that. It's just what we do in the West. What if I told you that there's really no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus? There is a, there is a, there is a relationship that is personal with God in the context of a family. That's what you see in the Bible. You see no isolated events of people just being believers out here on their own, on this island. If you are a Christian, you are married to the church. You are... The, that is the bride of Christ. It is the hope of the world. There's no other place to be in Jesus than the church. And that's His family. Not like family, as family. Because that is who He has made us to be. We are disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a learner or a follower. We see Jesus chasing His Father's will over and over and over again in the Scriptures. He says, not my will done, be done, Father, but Your will. Even if I have to drink this cup of wrath so that many can be forgiven. It's not my choice, but because You're my Father, I'll willingly endure the cross. Discipleship is more of an identity before it is an activity. That's why when you read Matthew 28, 18-20, which is known as the Great Commission, many of you have probably read it before, it says something like, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Just something like that. And but when you look at the, the Greek language behind it, we, we usually emphasize the go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It really reads more like this. As you go make disciples. As you go, make disciples. As you're changing diapers, mom, make disciples. As you're doing business, dad, make disciples. The going is assumed. The making disciples is what Jesus 
is after because we are disciples. Because Jesus was the perfect disciple. We are missionaries. In John, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus was the first missionary. Not Hudson Taylor. Not any of these other awesome guys who have done all this awesome work. Jesus was the first missionary. He left His home in heaven to come to earth. And so we have it in our blood. We have it in our DNA. We have it in our spirit to be sent people. It's an identity more than it is an activity. It, is, it, is, it requires more effort to not be sent into the world to make disciples than it does to be sent. Jesus is eager to send you to His people to reconcile the world to Himself. It's what He's come to do. Lastly, we are servants. So, as we see Jesus pick up the towel and wash His disciples' feet in the upper room, in John 13, that is His heart. That is His identity. He came to seek and save the lost. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus came to serve. It is in our DNA to pick up the towel. But we've got to press ourselves into Jesus for that to come out of us. Jesus came to change all of you for all of life. So my encouragement to us to wrap up this first point is this. Let Him be who He is in you. Let Him be who He is in you. Let Him love you. That's the first step. Some of you in here today, if I were to ask you, you would say that the God's God's demeanor as He looks at you is one of tremendous disappointment. And that's the way you live your life. And because that's the way you see God, everything in your life is about earning His approval and favor. We work, somebody famous said this, it's not original with me, we work from approval, not for approval. that, That is our identity. We are already pleasing in the Father's sight. And from this church, Ministry is a delight. Planting a church is a delight. Raising disciples is a delight. Serving the city is a delight. Worshiping Jesus in every single moment of your life is a delight because your Father is already pleased with you. Before you, before the world began, He was already pleased in you in Christ. That's what the Scriptures tell us. Second point. Grace changes how we live. Grace changes how we live. Doing flows from being. I had the opportunity to spend some time at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association a couple months ago. And we were, <laughs> we were sitting at this big conference table with some of Billy Graham's like executives, people that had done ministry with him. And uh, the guy comes into the room, I think his name was Tom. He comes in the room, he goes, he goes let me tell you, No, he asked a question. Do you want to know what made Billy Graham so effective? And we're like, we're like, yeah, let us know. Let us know. We're like pulling out our phones. We're like, man, we got to get this nugget down. This is it. This is the secret sauce. All of our churches are going to be massive. We're going to lead thousands of people to Christ. It's going to be awesome. You know what he said? We were expecting that. Of course, he didn't give us that. You know what he said made Billy Graham so successful it's that he didn't know he was Billy Graham he didn't know he was Billy Graham he couldn't see fully what God was doing and he didn't take the credit for the work that God was doing through him now he was a flawed man 
Just like anybody else. But I think that might be the secret of letting God live in us. So we don't know who we are. We don't, we don't know if we're a big deal or not. We just know that Christ lives in us and He wants to move through us. And we let Jesus be Jesus in all of our life and every moment of our lives. So what would it look like for you this morning to, to, to lose yourself in the vision that God is all? Because that's the vision of New City Church. To help you do that. To lose yourself in the vision that God is all. Because as we say often, when we know who our Father is, we know how to live. There's no question when we know who Dad is, we know how to live. So I want to show you three examples from Luke chapter 10 of how Jesus is far more interested in our being with Him than He is our doing for Him. It's not at the expense of that. He's just far more interested in us being with Him. So if you have a Bible, flip open to Luke chapter 10. We're going we're to look through some selections of Luke 10 here. Uh, Luke 10, uh, verse 17. So this is, a, this is an instance where Jesus uh, has some disciples. He has a following at this point. And these guys are interested in being sent out by Him. Jesus sends out the 72 or 70, some translations say. We're not real sure. It was a lot of people He sent out. And he, he told them you know, not to take you know, an extra cloak. He told them uh, uh, not, to, not to really prepare themselves, but just to let God lead them. And so they went out, and, um, and they met these people of peace, and they stayed in these different towns, and they told them about the kingdom of God. And when they come back, here's, here's their report back to Jesus. Listen to this. The 72 returned, verse 17, with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, this is Jesus, hey, look guys, I get it. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, beat that. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, okay, so that's, that's a reality. That's stated by Jesus. He's given us power over the enemy. The enemy still has an influence but he's not victorious if we're in Jesus. He says, nevertheless, and get this, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice in what you're doing for God. Because you are a steward of the mysteries of grace, as the Scriptures say. Don't rejoice in that. Let God do that through you. It's exciting. It's, it's awesome to see people come to faith and people mature in Jesus. For missionaries to be sent over the world. For people to have fellowship in Christ's name. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in your identity. The fact that your birth certificate is signed by our Father in heaven and you belong to Him. Your name is written in the book of life forevermore. Rejoice in that. Rejoice that you belong to a Father who is good in heaven and no one can take that away from you. Because you know what happens when we rejoice in the work that we do for God? It becomes our God. It becomes what we focus on. It becomes what we long to see happen uh, in all of life, which is not a bad desire, but it becomes our God. 
For me personally, um, I'll say this. I was telling uh, one of my friends this recently. As a, as a as an evangelist, I guess you could say, um, Atlanta has been some of the driest years of my Christian ministry life. And I've been tempted to be disappointed by that. Um, but what I see, what God is reminding me of is that Paul planted Apollos water, but God gives growth. Why, how can you be, when you delight in your Father in heaven, how can you be disappointed in what He does through you? It's all up to Him. So are you in that place today? Are you disappointed in what God's doing through you? I'll ask you a couple of diagnostic questions for you to consider. Are you walking in unrepentant sin right now? Are there things that are reoccurring in your life that you are willingly disobeying the Father? If you are, repent of those. Turn now. Turn. Confess your sins to one another so you can be healed, as James says. If you're not walking in willing, unrebellious, rebellious sin, delight in your Father and let Him use you. And let the joy of your salvation permeate all of your relationships and watch Him draw sons and daughters to Himself through your life and through your love for God. That's what I have to preach to myself every day. Maybe you need to do the same. The second instance of this is Luke 10, 25-28. This is the... Uh, 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 the parable of the Good Samaritan, the beginning of it says this, And behold, a, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, here's the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Are you seeing a theme here? What shall I do? These guys were rejoicing in what they did. Beginning of Luke 10, now we're looking at, okay, this guy comes up and he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What I got to do, God, just tell me. Just tell me and I'll do it. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're a lawyer. Tell me what it says. And this fellow says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. So what's he saying here? You know, his presuppositions are interesting because, you know, He's assuming that there's something that he can be about and participate in that would give him eternal life. What does that tell us when we assume that? That we have no idea the cost of what it means to be made new. There's nothing we can do. As Isaiah 53 says, you know, we're, we're all like sheep you know, who, were, who were scattered about. We we're hopeless without Jesus. And, and God sends the missionary Jesus down to redeem us. Is there something that if you were honest with where you're at in reality, you think you need to be doing to secure your eternity? I'm not talking about in your theology because we got good theology. Come on, we know the Bible. But you know, there's kind of like this distance sometimes between what we believe and, and, and how we live, you know? And, and, and how, we, how we think and feel about ourselves when it's just us. Are, deep inside of you, is there something you think you need to be doing to secure God's love for you? Maybe, maybe there is. And, and I, I would tell you, if there is, and you want to be honest about that, that's heresy. It will lead you not to eternal life. It will lead you away from God. And this is what Jesus is saying to this guy. Like your work, your effort is to worship. To worship the one who's done the work for you. To love God 
Not with just all your mind. Not with just all your heart and your feelings. Not with just all your strength. Not with just all your soul. But love Him all together with everything that you are. And out of that will flow, coupled with that, a love for neighbor. But if you try to love your neighbor so well that it gives you eternal life, you'll never get there. That's what the guy was after. That's what the rich young ruler was after. And Jesus put His finger on His idol. And He said, you've got to sell everything, man, because it's your idol. Jesus is after our heart. And if that's not enough, He says it one more time in Luke 10, 38-42. So let's read this. Now as they, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. And we read in Luke 11, they had a brother named Lazarus as well. And Mary, here's how Mary's described. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Him and said, Lord, you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, before we get these judgmental looks at Martha, Martha, you know, that's what I do when I look at this. Jesus loved Martha. Martha's serving was not the problem. Just like your serving is not the problem in your life. It's your serving at the expense of a worship and love and adoration and saturation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that's the problem. It's when we get those two backwards that we get into trouble. Scripture said that Martha had become distracted with much serving. Sometimes it's easy to just get busy, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to skip a Sabbath rest thinking, oh, I can just just bulldoze through this. I don't need this rest today. I don't need to sit and soak in Jesus. I learned that a long time ago. And we muscle through at the expense of our joy and security in Jesus. Thinking, ah, oh, well, at least I'll get something done for His kingdom. At least I'll write another check and send it to the church even though I'm not participating in really worshiping Jesus. And we think we can do these things that will give us joy and will secure our eternity. But Jesus says that the, there's one thing that's necessary. One thing. It's the reason that I would say all of the other Ten Commandments hinge on the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To, to worship God supremely. To see Him above everything else. To sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, now Mary could appear lazy, right? I mean, she's just hanging out at Jesus' feet. Come on, girl. We've got to get some stuff done, right? The serving wasn't the problem. So my question for you is this. How do we have a heart like Mary while we live in a world like Martha? How do we do that? I mean, you're going to clock into work tomorrow morning and it's going to be like Martha, 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 Martha all day long. You're going to get home from work. It's going to be like Martha, 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 Martha. And you're going to try to squeeze some of those Mary moments in there. How do we live in the tension of this? We, we, I'll say this. We have to make some hard decisions. I had a guy in my discipleship group a few years ago who uh, was an entrepreneur. 
And Saturday was his money day and what he did. And he said, man, I just can't let go of Saturday. I just bring in the most money on Saturday. But it was the time that his wife and kids were home. And so we kind of came to this place in my discipleship group where it was going to be an act of faith. Like he reached this place in his life where he could not take the next step without faith. That's the place you have to get to if you want to have this Mary type of heart in a Martha type of world. There are going to be steps that you take and you don't know, you can't see the footing that's in front of you. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's working less, maybe it's resting more, or maybe for some of you, it is to engage in the work of ministry at a deeper level, to be in a discipleship group, to, to serve with us, with the Friends of Refugees down in Clarkston as we're building a partnership. See, I don't know what it is for you. But the two are always linked together. Love for God and love for neighbor. The Mary heart and the Martha heart are always connected. But the Mary, the, 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 the sitting at the feet of Jesus is what empowers everything in your life. And it seems so counterintuitive to us Americans. Everything that we're trying to do at New City Church is to foster you to sit with Jesus and serve out of your sitting. That's why we don't have a lot of activities that we have going on. I'll show you what, you're, what we're about um, as a church. We're about you coming in and soaking in the Gospel. We're about getting the Gospel in each and every one of you so deeply. And so that's why we focus on worshiping Jesus corporately. That's why we focus on missional communities that are these six communities that we have around Lawrenceville. Where, where, where you can bring your neighbors to Jesus, where you can serve together, where you can fellowship together, where you can have meals together, and your families can be a part of that. That's where about discipleship, where you get into the nitty-gritty life-on-life stuff that needs to be hashed out and dealt with so that you can see disciples made for the rest of your life. We're, we're about funneling all the Gospel all the way down in us so that we can grow in maturity and be fit to multiply the life of Jesus into the lives of others. And as a church, you know, we're just a church plant that's not even three years old. We want to plant churches. Here's what I know. If you're not passionate about the mission of God when you start a church, you'll never get there. When you grow in Jesus, you grow in mission. It's just what happens. It's what He was about. We, we serve the community. We, I mean, we've got some focuses. We could do a lot of things. And some of you have brought things to us to participate in. And we've said... Right now is not the time. We focus on Richards Middle School because we meet in this school and there is a huge need in this school. When we moved in, there were 60 homeless students in this school. There's a, there's a huge fatherless problem around, among African American young men in this school that you and I can do something about. We can show up for 45 minutes and be in their life once a week. And I know not everyone can. But some of you can. We need more mentors. James Rayford, the director of mentoring for Gwinnett County, has come to us and said, man, I've got mentors dropping like flies. Can you guys help? He's coming to the church to say, can you guys help? So a few of you have stepped up. We're asking for more. We're about foster care and adoption ministry. You know who, Jesus, you know who the, the Scripture, there's, there's a theme for who God is absolutely 
passionate about. In the Old Testament, it runs through the New Testament. The fatherless, fatherless, the orphan, and the widow, the needy among us, those that don't have families. Have you noticed that both of those revolve around the idea of family? There's something God does in family. And the church becomes that family. It is, it's not like family, it is family. And also the refugee or the sojourner, which is also a person that is displaced from their family. Isn't that interesting? That all the things that God are passionate about mercy ministry-wise all revolve around the idea of people that don't have families. And our vision that we see God doing in the Bible is to live as the family of God. And so it just makes sense for us to participate in the things that God is passionate about. And so we're building a relationship with friends of refugees in Clarkston. You know, we have the most diverse square mile in all of America. Maybe all of the world, I don't know. Refugees are being sent here. They don't have homes. They don't have jobs. They need skills. And we're just beginning to start a relationship with them. And so we're going to have a work day later this fall to help out with their community garden. We're going to, do, we're going to, do, we're going to participate in, a, uh, in an activity where we get to um, uh, go in and, and, and uh, help a family at Christmas time. And you'll, you'll have the opportunity to go into the homes of refugees and share the love of Jesus with them. Sure, we'll use the, 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 the holiday of Christmas, the celebration of Christmas, but the heart is the relationship behind it. We're going to do those things. So what does it look like for you today to step more deeply into the family of God and the initiatives of God's heart? What would that look like for you? This isn't a sermon about legalism. This is a sermon about you being a son or a daughter of God and living in the family of God. That's what we're after. Let's pray. Father, you know, sometimes, God, I, I say that, and I don't even know what I'm saying. The fact that you call us to start prayers with the word Father is remarkable. Father. Father, our Father in heaven, thank you for sending us your Son for renewing our hearts, for giving us new life, for saving us from the destruction that we've gotten ourselves into, for, for plucking us out of the pit of hell by Your grace. Father, would You help New City Church to be a church that knows that they are loved by a Father in Heaven and therefore are committed to one another's family. And Father, would You give us a heart for those that are not in families around us. For the refugee, for the, the sojourner, for the orphan, for the widow, for the fatherless. God, would You do that in us as You draw us deeper into Your heart. Lord, help us to sit in Your presence and to serve out of our city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.